Well, because of our lively discussion last week, we didn't get very far, and so most of my time will be spent on chapter lesson four that we didn't get finished with last week. And if you do not have a lesson four, I have a few copies left. Uh, does anybody need lesson four from last week? I we're going to spend most of our time on that when we probably. Uh, I don't know how far we'll even get into Lesson 5, but if you need a Lesson 4, I have about five copies left if you don't have it from last week. Does anybody need a Lesson 4 from last week before we get started? Does anybody else need one? Miss Brown needs one. Do you need one? And Do you need one, Robbie? Beautiful. So remember, we're in Lesson 4, and we're in... Uh, we're in chapter one. We're already in lesson four. I'm getting as bad as Terry, and that's I'm, that's okay. We're used to it. So we're, remember, we said that uh, uh, we started in chapter one, verse nineteen, and we said, and for the next, the rest of this chapter, there's going to be a day by day, day by day recording of John the Baptizer's ministry, as he is preparatory for Christ coming, as he is preparatory for Christ. Christ bringing in the kingdom of the gospel and His death, burial, and resurrection, why He came to this earth. We've done the prologue. We spent a lot of time on that. And we did day one, which was verses 19 through 26, and that's in uh, paragraph uh, part A, and we talked about that in great, and that's when we got into a discussion about the baptisms of Jesus and, and John the baptizer. And uh, those of you who are here remember that. So anyway, we're in part two, day two, as we see... Uh, MacArthur says day two of this recording of John the Baptizer's ministry is a, he calls it a uh, bridge section. And in this bridge, bridge sec- section, excuse me, John the Apostle is going to introduce some names for Jesus. Remember, all these names for Jesus are all going to point to these themes of the book, that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and He's going to talk about that you may believe and that you may have life and have it more abundantly, and it's very evangelistic, and it's filled with theology. And all of this book was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And we've uh, every week we are going to remind ourselves why this book was written. So we're looking at day two in John the Baptizer's ministry, and in this section we're going to see him uh, speaking to a group of unknown Jews, and he's going to introduce some titles for Jesus. And so while we're here, we're going to look at the titles for Jesus that are going to be throughout the book. And we are, uh, we uh, let's just read this real quick. The next day Jesus saw, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending, Ascending and remaining on him is he who baptizes with the Spirit. And I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. So we see these titles. John the Apostle 
mentions. And uh, so we looked at the first title. We talked about this in great detail. The first title we saw that John the Apostle is going to introduce uh, is that he is the Lamb of God. Real quickly, this was written to Jews and it was written to Greeks. And what is the significance of the Lamb of God? And what does that what does that uh, drum up in the mind of the Jewish reader when John the Apostle calls Jesus the Lamb of God? Real quick, who's got Passover? The, the sacrificial lamb. We know in Exodus, which represent the literal place, the Jews were literally uh, Exodus from there, and they were redeemed from that place. But it also pictures us as we are redeemed from the slave block of sin. And the Lamb of God, the blood was put over the outpost, the doors. And when the death angel came by, he saw the blood and he passed over. And the firstborn child was spared. So the Jew would understand this. That started Passover. Passover is when the lamb is sacrificed. On day, day 10, they bring in the lamb. On, on the first, uh, first day of the month, day 10, they bring in the lamb. Day 14, after they've had the lamb for a few days, and that's a whole other story, and we'll get into that later, but the lamb is sacrificed, and then that starts unleavened bread. But they would understand the sacrifice necessary uh, and the, the institution of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament that's going to always point to Christ. We talked about that was one of his favorite terms. We read about it in the Revelation, so I won't go there. The second thing that we are uh, that we are introduced to the term, and it's going to be introduced to us in another section. But it is this word, Rabbi. It's called Rabbanini in the Hebrew, but it literally means teacher. So when one of the apostles calls him teacher and he's called rabbi several places in the scripture, you see that in verse 38, Jesus turned and seeing them said to them, who do you seek? And they said to him, rabbi, which is rabbinini, which is to say teacher. And so the, the disciples call him teachers. They are followers of him and he's the way. And so many times they called him teacher and the fact that he's teacher and, and Lamb of God is going to point to this evangelistic and to, that he's the giver of life. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on rabbi. The next term that we see that John the Apostle introduces uh, in this section is Messiah and Christ. These words both in the Greek and in the Hebrew both mean the anointed one. So when it says that you may believe that Christ is the Son of God, John is saying that you may believe He's the anointed one. He is the one appointed by the Father to come to save His people from their sins. He is the the one. Uh, he is the rescuer of men. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. That is another name that is going to be very frequent in this book, John. The apostle writes, and all of these names are going to point us that he's God's son. He is who he said he would be. Uh, this, uh, my definition, you see that in, in point B, number three. This refers to someone who is set apart for a particular office or functions. And these are titles for Jesus and to his task of being prophet, priest, and king. So this is 
He is set apart for a particular function, and that function is to die on the cross to atone for the sins of his people. And we're going to see that in great detail as we get through this book. The next title we see is Son of God. Son of God is... I'm already out of ink, and I probably held it upside down too long. We've got Son of God. And this, of course, references, and I'm going to read this. This was Jesus' favorite description of himself. He used it over 80 times in the Scriptures, 13 times in the book of John. And it is associated with his role as his crucifixion and his suffering comes. And remember, we talked about this in Daniel. Remember Daniel? When, when Daniel saw this vision, and in the vision he saw the Ancient of Days, and then he saw the Son of God uh, coming to him. Uh, let me just read it to you so I don't butcher any of it. Let's look at Daniel 7. So when we see this, this phrase, Son of God, it is prophetic, and it relates to the dream that Daniel had in Daniel uh, chapter 7. We did this, remember, last, uh, last book we did was Daniel. And so we see this fulfilled, Daniel 7, 13, I was watching in the night visions, and one behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, which we said was to the Father, and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This, of course, pictures Jesus as the Son of God, and this particular uh, verse verse speaks of His role in the millennial kingdom as He rules and reigns. As as, uh, Terry said this morning, when He comes to the temple in Jerusalem and He rules and reigns as the Son of God for a thousand years in Jerusalem, uh, that has particular reference to that phrase, and that's where it came from. And Jesus used that of himself many times. The next one we see is King of Israel. Uh, Nathaniel calls him the King of Israel. We know, of course, that he came. The Jews thought he came to be, set up a messianic kingdom, but he came the first time to die and to be a humble servant. And we do know that Nathaniel prophesied this. One day he will come, and one day the second time, and he will be king of Israel, and he will rule and reign. But Nathaniel sort of gives us a foreshadow of that when he declares these truths, and we're going to get to that in a minute. And then son of uh, the next one is uh, son of man. Uh, this emphasis emphasizes, of course, his humanity. And we said Jesus is fully God and He's fully man, and He added to Himself real humanity so that He may represent man and be a substitute for the sins of men. And we will talk about that. Uh, he, uh, I think I, uh, I think I uh, got Son of Man and Son of God backwards. Son of God is, of course, I just didn't read my notes, is a title for Jesus that donates His deity. Son of Man is His suffering servant, and I apologize for that. And then lastly, uh, we're going to see uh, another name that He gives is this witness of the Spirit. Uh, when Jesus was being baptized, explain to me the significance of the of the Spirit descending on him like a dove. What does it mean and what doesn't it mean? The Spirit descending like a dove. 
Was the Holy Spirit in the dove? No. The Holy Spirit was simply represented by the dove. Since you cannot see the Spirit, the dove represented the fact that Jesus was going to be... Pardon me? Who He said He was going to be. God said, whom you see the dove descend on, that is He. And so when the dove descended, that identified Jesus as as God's Son. And that authenticated the Father's description of His Son. And then He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Dove also represents... uh, uh, Peace, when you see here the, the terminology like a dove, it's Jesus came. Uh, he didn't come to bring peace on the earth, but he came to bring a sword and to separate men from their fathers and mothers from their children. But his, but his ministry was dove-like in that it was peaceful and it was not chaos. He didn't start riots in the streets. He came gentle and he came meek and lowly and he came on a donkey, metaphor, literally speaking, so this, this, uh, the spirit descends like a dove simply identifies Jesus and it identifies the type of ministry he's going to have for three and a half years. And it identifies that God is the one. God identified Jesus as his son and John saw it. All of these things are to authenticate the fact that Jesus is who he said he was going to be. The next day we see another understanding Another uh, description of, of, of John the Baptizer's ministry as it looks toward Jesus, and we're going to see that in verses 35 through 42. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on day three, but there's a couple of things in it I want you to see. Again, the next day, day three, John stood with two of his disciples. The disciples were, were Andrew and John, the apostle. And we know it's John the Apostle because in verse 39, there's such a detail there. He said it was 10 o'clock in the morning. So John the Apostle and Andrew are the two disciples that Jesus meets with early on. And then, of course, uh, they're going to introduce him to others. Uh, So we see here, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak. They followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, he said to them, What do you seek? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. John the Apostle records that because he was the one of the disciples. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found Andrew, his brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, title number two for Christ, which is translated Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. So we see Jesus naming, renaming Simon uh, of John, and he calls him a rock or a stone. This, this new name that Jesus gives Simon predicts Simon's future. And what is the prediction that it's talking about? He's going to call him the stone. What do we know about Peter later on in Matthew 16 that Jesus is predicting that Simon Peter's going to do when he names him a stone? 
He is going to be, he is going to be a little rock in the foundation of the church, right? He said, I call you Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He's not the rock. He's a little rock, but he's foundational to the church. And we know later that Peter, although all of his mistakes he makes and all of his passion, uh, that he, uh, he's sort of like a lot of us. We are very gung-ho, but sometimes we, we think before we speak. And all of those inadequacies, Jesus is going to shape him and make him into the apostle who's going to be foundational for the church. So when he names him Peter, uh, Jesus is prescient. He, 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 he knows the future and he names him this because he knows that Peter is going to be foundational and he knows that he is in this process of changing Peter. So we see that. We see another principle in this and that is the responsibility to tell our family members about the Christ. We see Andrew, he was excited and he told his brother, he said, come and see the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And so we should all be about the business of inviting our family and friends to know the Messiah that we know. Another thing we can learn from this. Uh, and then they, look what they said. Uh, look what he said. We have found the Messiah and brought him to Jesus. They were remembering the Old Testament. And look at some of these verses that they would understand that they have read. And uh, this is also uh, found in uh, verse 45. These are two more apostles. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And then this would immediately have brought to mind the Old Testament Scripture to them. Uh, although they weren't learned men, they had heard these verses in the synagogue and they had no idea probably what they meant. But look at some of these verses. That, that indicate to them that he is the, the one that Moses wrote about in the law. Let's look at some of these verses. Who's got, uh, uh, who's got, uh, John 21, 18 and 19? Melanie, if you'll read that. And then, uh, my wife, Melanie, if you'll read Matthew 16, 17 through 20. Uh, no, I'm in the wrong section. Melanie, if you will read Deuteronomy 18:15 through 19. This yes, my wife Melanie. If you'll read Luke 24:44 through 45. Diane, if you'll read Acts 10:43, 18:28. Acts 10:43. Can't read that gibberish. I don't know why I'm even putting it on the board. In 1828, and then also while you're in Acts, read 26, 22, and 23. All of these verses are going to uh, sustain the fact that Christ is the one that Moses wrote about in the law. Remember on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had risen from the dead, when he reasoned with the disciples, and it says he told the Beginning at Moses and the prophets, he explained to them about him. So all of these verses. So go ahead, Melanie, uh, if you will read Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19 about this prophet whom Jesus is going to be, is. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. 
This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke about, that God is going to raise up, and he is going to one that the people will hear. And so he's the prophet. My wife, Melanie, Luke 24, 44 through 45. Everything written about me in the law and the prophets must be fulfilled. And then the key that he had to open their minds. They could read about it. They had read about it. They'd heard about it. But they did not understand until Jesus opened their minds. And then if you've got that, Diane, these verses in Acts, which we're going to help us see what they're talking about, that they have found the Messiah. Paul preaching to King Agrippa, and he refers back to the Old Testament that spoke of Christ and that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. So I'm going to spend on the time on that. Then the last thing I want to do is day three. This is actually uh, this is actually uh, the next day, but this is this is Jesus's calling some disciples to himself, and this is found in 43 through 51. And I want to see some great principles in this text that we help us understand that, G, that John the Apostle is always pointing us to evangelism. Now let's look at this calling of Nathaniel. The following day, verse 43, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and notice what he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to me, said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, 
I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Using all these terms. So we see this calling. First thing you see uh, in this section is that Jesus called them. He called Andrew. And in other of the synoptic gospels, we see that Jesus called his disciples to himself. So these lessons we learn from this section, this brief section in this epistle, in this uh, gospel, is that Jesus always is the initiator. He is the one who draws men to himself. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are not seeking him. He seeks us. And he reiterates that when he says he found Philip. Uh, We see this principle. Jesus is the initiator and he calls men to himself. We see this over and over in the book of John. But let me give you one example that uh, that Jesus calls uh, uh, him, and we see this. Let's look at, let me see if I can find it. Uh, I don't know if I have it written down for me. Let's look at John chapter, John chapter, let me find it, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. He says, chapter, chapter 6, verse 29, speaking of Jesus as the initiator and in calling men to himself, he says, he gives us the hint, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So Jesus is, is, is representing and stating the fact that it's God's work that works in the heart of men, that causes men to believe. Jesus, the Father, they are bringing men unto themselves. Uh, Now let's look at John 15. As we see this again, uh, John 15, 16. Jesus speaking to His disciples. Let's start at verse 15. 6, 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father, I've been known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he'll give you. So we see Jesus is the one who chose his disciples. He and the Father have foreknown his people. All of us who are in Christ have been foreknown of God. And we'll talk about this in great detail as we get through this through this chapter, this book, Jesus is the initiator. He called them. We are responsible to tell. Jesus is responsible for drawing men into himself. We have no responsibility in changing a man's heart, but Jesus does that through his spirit. But Jesus called them. One thing we learn in this 
text. Amen. And questions about that. And he says to Philip, follow me. Philip exercises the work of a follower now. He's going to tell his brother and he finds Nathaniel. And he says, we found him. Look at Nathaniel teaches us a lot about the gospel. Nathaniel's calling teaches us a lot about the gospel. Let's look at it. Something that I hadn't thought of before very much, and hopefully this will bring something out to us. Look at verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael expresses a bigotry that really describes everyone's heart. Nathanael's Nathaniel's response describes all of our hearts. And it reflects a bigotry and a and a hatred for the things of God. You remember in this section, uh, the Samaritans and the Jews were arch enemies. And they were arch enemies because the, 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 from Judah, the, the southern tribe of Israel thought that the northern tribe had left God and they were not pure in their religion and they were mixed bread. They, they mingled with other nations and they had defiled themselves. So, so Jews from the southern kingdom hated Jews from the northern kingdom. And, and, uh, and uh, Jesus basically uh, is he is going. Nathaniel is describing a heart unchanged by God. It describes a heart that is prejudiced against God and His work, and it describes our heart. That's Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I think MacArthur says uh, 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 he was held in contempt for being a mixed race region where the law was not zealously observed. And later on, the disciples say, he's from Nazareth. How can he be of any value to us as a Jewish people? Nathaniel reflected the heart of the people toward Jesus and his coming. So it describes our heart before God. What did Jesus say? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom... There is no deceit. So Jesus responds to Nathaniel's heart, and he says something very unusual. Jesus says, an Israelite in whom is no deceit. Those two phrases seem to contradict one another, do they not? MacArthur says... That Jesus said there's no deceit. Jesus knows the heart. Look as we go into the text. Nathaniel said to them, How do you know me? Nathaniel didn't, had never met Jesus, and Jesus says to him, An Israelite is whom is no deceit. Jesus knows his heart. Jesus is already working on him because it says, Before Philip called you, I, I saw you under the fig tree. So Jesus knows his typical heart, and he responds to Nathaniel because Jesus had already saw him under the fig tree. Now, the fig tree is a euphemism 
For I saw you studying the Scriptures. It is a literal fig tree. He saw Nathaniel from a distance, but it also means it's a euphemism for studying Scripture. So Jesus is saying, I know this about your natural inclination of your heart, but I saw you. You were one of mine. I chose you. I am working in your heart, and I saw you inquiring of me, and all this is instigated by Christ. So when he says, I saw you under the fig tree, that's a euphemism for I'm working on your heart. And I know this about your heart because I'm changing your heart. Okay? And that's when Nathaniel Nathaniel says, how do you know me? He's not saying, how do you know me because you saw me? He says, how do you know my heart? And so this this is going to talk, this is going to be... What do these two fancy words mean? Remember, all this is written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Most of the time in Jesus' ministry, He did not allow, He did not use His attributes of God. But sometimes He did. Remember? There's various scriptures. But in this case, God used, Jesus used His prescience and His omnipresence. Omniscience. Is that spelled right? What do I mean by that? When he saw Nathanael under the fig tree, he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And he said, you are an Israelite in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said, how do you know me? How did he know all that about Nathanael? Because he is prescient and omniscient. Okay. As a man, he voluntarily laid aside some of those attributes. But as God, sometimes He displayed His godly attributes. So in this case, He did. And so that means foreknowledge, and that means He knows all things. So Jesus said to him, before before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And because He saw him under the fig tree, that's why He knew His heart, and that's why He knew that He was one of His, and He was going to change him. So He's going to change him from this attitude of hatred and ill will toward things of God. He's going to change him to an Israelite as whom knows deceit. That's not very clear when you read that text, but that is the meaning of the text and is consistent with the whole book of John. Jesus exercises His foreknowledge and knowledge of all things. When I saw you under the fig tree, not just a visual, but an understanding of the heart. Nathaniel knew that. The Spirit gave him that understanding. He said, how did you know me? That word know is, know about means, it knows me from the inside out. That's how he knows each one of us. And because Jesus exercises his prescience and omniscience, and he describes what's in his heart, and that he is going to be different. When he says, in whom he is no deceit, this is going to be the opposite of typical jewelry in that day. Typical Jews were of of their father Jacob, and they were deceivers, and they had a horrible reputation, as they do to this very day. But Jesus, because he's called Nathaniel, and he's working in his heart, one of the reasons why he's studying the Scriptures, he's going to be able to say, Nathaniel, in whom is no deceit, because I'm changing your heart. And so he does that in Nathaniel. And because of all these things, what does Nathaniel say? 
you are the Son of God. And so we see the reason he's able to say you are the Son of God is because God is working in his heart. Jesus is working in his heart. Does everybody understand the order of salvation? All these things are critical lessons. Jesus is the initiator. Jesus sees the heart. Jesus changes the heart. He creates a new will, and we are new creation. So Jesus changes the heart. And then because of this change that he writes, and he writes in our hearts, we can say with Nathaniel's, you are the Son of God. You're the only one that could change my heart. And so Jesus does begin the change of Nathaniel's heart. And through this three-and-a-half-year process, the disciples who walk with him come to know that he is the Christ. Nathaniel's response was amazing and of God. He said, you are the Son of God. How else would he have believed that? A Jew who had a propensity to hate those who were from Judah. And so Jesus is in this process and he declares... And so all of us, we say that you are the Son of God because of the work of God in our heart. Everybody understand that? That's pretty uh, difficult text to understand, but I think this is the way to describe it. Any questions about this? And then when he says something else very interesting, and I'm deviating from my notes, I know, but that's okay. Verse 50. Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. For bonus questions, what is he referring to without looking at your notes? Jacob's. Ladder. Remember, he's already said, an Israelite in whom is no deceit, which is going to be atypical of the Jew in Jesus' day. And then he refers back to Jacob, who is the deceiver. This is a typical lifestyle of a lost Jew in those days. Jacob's ladder is going to refer to Genesis 28, I believe it is. Let's look at Genesis 28. This is in the process of God changing the deceiver into the father of many nations. And it was a process, as it is in each one of us. As you notice, Jacob, you know, he says, if he said, it's, he always calls it, the, my, you're the God of my father, Abraham and Isaac. And he never says, you're my father, because God is still working in him. But we see Genesis 28, and we see this uh, process God is working in Jacob's heart. And he starts in uh, verse 12. And this is... And you see the process, and it's not complete. And I hope you see this process in your own life. Look at uh, Genesis 28, verse 12. Jacob, then he dreamed, Jacob dreaming, Behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. There the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. 
and your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you for wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I'll not leave you until I've done what I promised you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And Jacob arose early in the morning, took the stone that had been in his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. The name of that place had been called Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow of saying, See this process? If God will be with me, don't really believe, but if He will be with me and He will keep me in the way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing, looking at the physical, so that I come back to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I have set or a pillar will be for God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give you 10%. See, Jacob is still processing. He's still growing. But this, as MacArthur says, this is an allusion to Jacob's dream. Jesus is the access between God and man. Jesus is the reality to which the stairway pointed. Everybody understand that illusion? Jesus is alluding to the Old Testament, to the Jew, and the picture of this dream is access to God. The stairway represents access to God. Jesus coming as the Son of Man, and this is evangelistic, and He is claiming that He is the access to which the dream points. He is the reality to which the dream points. So he again reiterates to a growing Nathaniel, whom he has saw under the fig tree. Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things to them, and I'm going to show you that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm the only way, as he talks about the seven I am's, which we'll get into. So everybody understand this calling of Nathaniel, and this is an allusion to whom Jesus is and what the dream points to. Comments or questions? Do you want me to start lesson five, or do you want to go home and eat dinner with your family? Yes. That's a bad question, isn't it? If I get a different answer, I'm going to go, wow, y'all are spiritual people. Go ahead. Yes. For studying God's scripture. Where did I get that? I got that from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentators who are of the old school. Is that MacArthur doesn't speak of this? John Calvin doesn't speak of this? I had never heard it before, and that I thought that was very interesting to describe what was going on in Jesus' mind toward Nathaniel that would have made Nathaniel say, You do know me. Yes? And you heard that it was a youth. Good. Well, I'm good. not for studying the scriptures, but for meditating on the scriptures. He was, he was made curious by God's grace as to the authenticity of his claims. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And Nathaniel is studying the scriptures for himself, as Paul told the Bereans to do. And he is serious-minded, and he wants to know truth. 
and he is meditating. Good another word for that or studying the scriptures. He probably wouldn't have had a scripture for himself to read. He may have been meditating, maybe a better way to understand what he'd been taught in the synagogues. Maybe we'll put meditating, if I could spell meditate. Yes. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus, Jesus is, again, he is describing what's going to happen in their lives, just like he did with Peter, because he is prescient and he is omniscient. I heard a book slam. I think we're going to go to lesson five next week. I'm at the end of my paper, so we need to go next week. Melanie's at the end of her paper. I thank you for listening. Enjoy your families. Enjoy Easter lunch and brunch. Get the finest tables in the restaurants or wherever you're going. And this is my gift, and this has never happened before, and it may not ever happen again. But... uh I appreciate you guys. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, that this is Resurrection Day. We remember the great victory over death. We thank you for the blessed hope we have. We thank you that you've called us and that you've chosen us and you have worked in our hearts and you are still working in our hearts and you will finish the work in each one of our hearts. And you will, because of the resurrection of Jesus, you will bring us gloriously in new bodies for eternal life, and we thank you for that blessed hope, and that purifies us and encourages us. Thank you for how you know our hearts, and despite of what's in our heart, you change our hearts, and you work your work in our hearts because of the work of Christ. Thank you again. May we be bold witnesses of you to whomever we run into. We thank you in advance. We thank you for your work. In your name we pray. Amen.